Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hungry Takes podcast live on the ColorCast app. This is Joe and Matt live with you guys on a Thursday night, fresh out of the Thanksgiving holidays. Hope everybody had a great holiday season. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes. Matt, we have an action-packed show that you have prepared for our listeners. Where do we start? Man, Joe, we're going to get to the nitty-gritty tonight. There's so much. Like, I, I won't forget when you text me on Monday, Tuesday, you're like, there are so many juicy stories out there for this week's show. And you're right, Joe. It is just action-packed. It's been nonstop for about the last week. So we have a ton of stuff tonight. High-level overview. We're going to talk a little baseball, a little college football, or I should say a lot of college football. We're going to talk some NFL. We'll check up on Mr. Rogers, okay? We'll talk NBA, and then you know we're going to finish the show with the Hangry Rant. Sounds good. I suppose you're talking about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Yeah, that's exactly who I'm talking about. Okay. All right, Joe, so let's get into it, man. First things first, let's talk a little uh, MLB baseball. I'll turn it over to you. I mean, we have a lockout going on, so why don't you go ahead and give us an overview what's going on with this lockout and ultimately what happens. Yes, I mean, it's not a huge surprise that we have a lockout right now for the first time in a quarter century in Major League Baseball. You know, the last time this happened of a significant rate in baseball was during the 1994 season. You didn't have a World Series played, and I'm not going to – you know, overreact and feel like we're going to reach that point. I still expect uh, the season to start on time um, come the end of March, uh, early April 2022. But it's definitely a story to monitor. I think you're probably going to see some significant changes in Major League Baseball. I know the players are wanting to change, like, how quickly they can be eligible for free agency and things like arbitration. Um, I think that that will be something that's impacted by the new collective bargaining agreement Additionally, I think you might see an expanded uh, postseason with more teams uh, making the playoffs, maybe go to like a 12-team uh, playoff opposed to uh, eight that they currently have. But I'll say this. I mean, this is going to be an important time for the sport because in the 2020 season, I think a story that a lot of people uh, don't talk about enough is that even though they didn't have a lockout prior to the 2020 season, there was kind of a lot of uh, issues and argumentation surrounding uh, how to get started with the 60-game regular season. You know, if you remember, they didn't start until late July of 2020, and it wasn't really because of the pandemic at that point. They had already been cleared to play for a couple of months. It was largely because they couldn't just get a deal done on, like, the players' prorated salaries and how many games to play and, and all the contractual stuff and TV deals. And so this is going to be an important time for baseball, and we'll see, you know, where um, where the uh, CBA goes. Yeah, Joe, you know, if it's me, right, of course, you know what I'm going to say here. Like, I don't love a lockout, but if it saves us from a few extra games in a season, maybe we cut it down from 162 games to about 90 games, at least for one season, that would be excellent, right? But, you know, in all honesty, I know a lockout is never a good thing uh, for Major League Baseball. No, it's not. And it's going to be important for them to get a, a deal done to end the lockout. You, you, we've seen lockouts over the last 10 or 15 years in other sports, you know, like uh, the NBA, the NFL. Like, it happens to everybody. But the last thing I want to say about baseball, because I know we got to keep it moving with uh, football, 
But I've also found it interesting, kind of the free agency frenzy that we've had this week with a lot of uh, marquee free agents signing long-term deals before the precipice of the lockout to try to get that done. And I noticed where uh, Corey Seager, for instance, signed with the Rangers, uh, Max Scherzer with the Mets. And Matt, every time I see a big deal signed in baseball, I've just never been a proponent of giving these 10-year contracts to position players like a Bryce Harper, like a Corey Seager. I'm fine with giving a big contract, a lucrative contract to a pitcher, but for position players, it just never seems like it really works out that well for the team. Yeah, it, look, I'll go one step further. What is unique to Major League Baseball that you don't see in other sports is they give aging superstars very long contracts. What was it maybe uh, five or so years ago uh, Detroit Lions, uh, excuse me, the Detroit Tigers had a big time slugger. I can't think of his name. And he was like in his mid 30s or something. And they signed him to a 10 year deal or something like that. And it was going to put him like in his early 40s before that's paid out. And you just don't see that in other sports. Like as you get into your early to mid 30s, people start cutting bait and you get one year of contracts instead of 10 year contracts. That's true. I think Miguel Cabrera is probably who you're talking about with the Tigers. And we saw the same thing with Albert Pujols. He was like 32 or 33. He signed a 10-year deal with the Angels. You know, he just never produced as well once he left uh, St. Louis. Yeah, man. So so great take right there. Uh, great hungry take, I should say, right there on the MLB lockout show. And I know as our show progresses week in, week out, uh, you will keep all of our listeners up to date on what's going on with Major League Baseball and the lockout situation. And real quick, before we move on to, I'm sure what everyone wants to talk about, football, real quick in the chat, Joe, Lily says she wants to talk about that topic. Just, I guess, overall MLB lockout. So at some point, maybe we get on Lily's show, uh, Lily show and we can, we can talk Major League Baseball. So, all right, moving on, Joe. Here's the big one, right? This is what is consuming the news right now. So let's just go ahead and get knee-deep in it. College football and most specifically, before we actually talk about football on the field, let's talk about all these coaching changes that we saw in the last Yeah, it's just been a plethora of coaching changes. And here's the crazy part of it, Matt. When you look at Lincoln Riley to USC, when you look at Brian Kelly to LSU, not only have you seen um, big-time programs get a new coach and a big splash made on both fronts, but you've also seen – just huge programs like a Notre Dame, like an Oklahoma, that suddenly have a void in their own right that you've got to fill with the coaching vacancy. So that's the unique um, component of these stories for me. Yeah, so the, the big thing here, and we can talk about the individual hires, but the big thing here is Oklahoma and Notre, Notre Dame. And what I will allude to, but I won't talk about, is going to be the hangry rant that's coming up. But basically... These coaching changes set Oklahoma and Notre Dame back by years. And you're going to say, what are you talking about, Matt? Hang around for the hangry rant here at the end of the show. I'll explain. But look at Oklahoma, Joe, with Lincoln Riley. I, I texted our group and I said this candidly. I said he made the biggest statement. Lincoln Riley was going to go to LSU, right? That was in the Twitter sphere. And then he decides, nope, don't want to go to LSU. And keep in mind that Oklahoma was going to move in the SEC within a year, right? And Lincoln Riley made a pretty resounding statement. 
I do not want to coach in the SEC. I want to go run over to Pac-12 where I can be the dog of all dogs, right? So I thought it, it, it's great in terms of size of program, I guess, and some cachet, but it speaks volumes to not wanting to coach in the SEC for Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I think that's really what it was. He wanted to get out of that conference while he still could. Because at the end of the day, when you all of a sudden have so many great coaches in one conference in the SEC, like a Nick Saban, like a Lane Kiffin, like a Jimbo Fisher, only so many teams can win. Somebody's got to lose by default. And so you could have one of the better teams in the country could actually be eight and four just because they play in a strong conference. And so that's what I think Lincoln Raleigh wants to avoid. And personally, I cannot fault him for taking the USC job. I think he's going to be pretty successful out there. He got a great contract, Matt, that allows him to have, you know, his own private plane or jet for his family. I think they're going to buy him a house or pay off um, two of his houses that he owned in Norman, Oklahoma. So for me, it makes a lot of sense. But the Brian Kelly hire, what's that? I was going to say, that's absolutely incredible to think about. That's all. Yes, you know, it's just the, the point that we've reached in, in 2021 with these, these contracts in the college game. But obviously, it's about amateurism, correct? But anyway, um, the Brian Kelly uh, hire, though, I, I was not um, a big proponent of that hire. I actually think that's a bad uh, call on Brian Kelly, not with the contract, but I think he's probably going to long-term regret that decision. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and I'll touch on that in the hangry rant, but I think you're right. I think ultimately uh, Brian Kelly may get exposed. And I think for a few years he was kind of getting exposed at Notre Dame. And then the last three to four he kind of turned things around. But, you know, Joe, the one I want to harp on very briefly that is kind of flying under the radar and I think got the best coach is Florida, right, Billy Napier. And the reason why I want to talk about that is Louisiana's propensity to let talent slip through their fingers. Coming from a guy who's in his mid-30s from Louisiana who had to move to Mississippi to find a job. You're talking about the Saints never um, draft LSU ball players. okay? LSU never goes after coaches in their own state. UL Lafayette, who Billy Napier um, had a 10-1 season, like 9-3 the year before, 9-2 the year before that, is 30 minutes down the road. And instead of keeping that talent in state to take over LSU, instead you let him walk across the state over to one of your rivals in Florida. And to me, Joe, I just get fed up with Louisiana because we let the best talent go out of the state. We don't draft LSU boys at, at the Saints. Uh, and it just it drives me crazy. No, I certainly understand that. I think Billy Napier is an interesting hire for Florida. The only question I have about it is I'm still trying to figure out exactly what Billy Napier's identity is as a head coach. I think he's been like a running backs coach in the past. As an assistant, he was formerly an assistant on the staff at Alabama under Nick Saban. I know he's known as a top-tier recruiter, um, but at the same time, I want to know, you know, is he going to specialize as a defensive coach, as an offensive coach? Searching for an identity is the only question I have about this hire for the Florida Gators. Yeah, and I think conversely to Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley, this was a move up, right? So we know the body of work from Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly – to be determined with Billy Napier. Like, you did a great job in the Sun Conference, whatever, uh, wherever UL Lafayette plays. 
but are you ready to step up to the SEC? Time will tell. It just it, it kills me that Louisiana let another talented person leave the state of Louisiana. So, Joe, with that said, let's actually talk about college football, right? So we got a top four. We got Georgia. We got Michigan. We got Cincinnati. Oh, and we got that pesky Alabama, right? So how do you think this finishes up, and, and what do you see out of these four teams? Are these the four that we get into the national championship with? Um, I'm going to say no, and largely because I think that Georgia will defeat Alabama. I expect it to be a lot closer than most people expect. I think it'll be a really tight game for Georgia, but I think Georgia will prevail over Alabama, and I think that will knock Alabama out of the equation. And then if Michigan wins and Cincinnati wins, you're kind of searching for that fourth team. It's probably going to be Oklahoma State if they win. I think the only way Notre Dame gets in is if Alabama and Oklahoma State both lose or if Cincinnati loses. Yeah, I agree. And that's exactly what I was going to say. So to me, the story is really about Alabama here and Oklahoma State. So I think, again, Cincinnati is outside looking in, right? If Alabama loses and takes them out of the top four, then I think Cincinnati's got a better chance to stay in. But somehow, if Alabama wins and then Oklahoma State wins, because keep in mind, Oklahoma State is playing the number nine Baylor team, right? Which Cincinnati, I think, is playing number 21 Houston. So if Alabama pulls an upset with Georgia, Alabama certainly stays in. Georgia stays in. Michigan's not moving. And if Oklahoma State pulls not really an upset, but plays this big game and beats Baylor, I think Oklahoma jumps Cincinnati. And again, Cincinnati's on the outside looking in. Well, you know they're going to look at any excuse, unfortunately, to probably keep Cincinnati out of the playoffs. So that's going to be something to definitely monitor. But I really do feel pretty confident at this point. If Cincinnati takes care of business against Houston, I mean, you would think they would be in a good position. But don't completely, you know, write off Houston in that game. Houston is 11-1 and this year. They have an excellent chance to defeat Cincinnati on Saturday. Yeah, and I'll think, I think another thing for Cincinnati's sake, and we'll see how this plays out this weekend. It's going to be a great weekend of football. But thank gosh Notre Dame does not have another game, right? I think that helps big time because I think if Notre Dame had another game, you got Oklahoma State, all of a sudden now you've got two teams coming for Cincinnati. So maybe Cincinnati sneaks through this season and gets into that top four, but we will see. And like you said, Cincinnati may not even beat Houston because Houston, Houston is a very solid team. So, Joe, a lot to look forward to this weekend, but let's take a brief pause in the show. Let's do an actual hungry take, the namesake of our show. And, Joe, the question here as we kind of move into the Christmas season, eggnog? Or no eggnog? Where do you stand? I'm definitely an eggnog fan. Um, I love eggnog. In fact, I've always been on record that it kind of frustrates me um, on a yearly basis that eggnog is not a staple year-round. Like, I've never really understood just the concept of seasonal desserts, seasonal beverages. And then also another thing that really bothers me, Matt, is the fact that eggnog is normally not sold in, like, uh, gallon containers. I can always only get it like half gallons or um, uh, smaller containers, and I definitely won't like gallon or two gallon uh, eggnog at my disposal. Yeah, so I love it, right? And, and God, I, I like I can't say enough about eggnog season. I have to be careful, right? Because 
I can drink too much eggnog, and God knows eggnog goes to the hip and does not help your girlish figure. Here's my complaint with eggnog. As much as I love it, it's got to be very specific. We're talking Borden eggnog. When you get into these <laughs> other like brands of eggnog, Southern Comfort and off-brand and this stuff, it gets horrible quick. When you stay with Borden eggnog, it's a can't miss, and I wish they sold it all year long. No, that's actually a good point. I had not thought about that before. There are a lot of like different flavors or different brands. Is there actually a is there a great value brand for eggnog? There, there is. I don't know about great value, but there is some generic brands in Walmart and in other stores. But I have just noticed over the years of my life such a drastic difference between Borden and the other eggnogs out there. Do you ever sprinkle like cinnamon on top of your eggnog? <laughs> like cinnamon i wouldn't say that i sprinkle cinnamon on mine but i do like to sneak a little bit of you know what maybe a little whiskey a little bourbon maybe some rum into my eggnog you definitely doctor yours up i hear you oh yeah you gotta you gotta uh, load that little bit of extra okay all right joe so we'll keep it moving man that was the hungry take talking a little eggnog as we head into christmas but let's jump into the NFL, right? Because this is the other thing. We got the playoffs brewing. Uh, we had big AFC showdowns uh, last week. We have another big AFC showdown that we'll get into, Patriots and Bills. We can talk about the entire landscape of the NFL. But let's start tonight with, which I think is a very interesting topic, and that's going to be Taysom Hill starting for the New Orleans Saints. Something I know that a lot of fans have been waiting for. Yeah, it's about time. And I know that you have strong feelings on, you know, how much money they're paying Taysom Hill. I mean, it did not justify to have him riding the bench. I know that he's been injured. I think he's had a concussion in a foot or a leg injury this year that's had him sidelined um, for a few weeks. But at the same time, I mean, you're paying this guy a lot of money. And he also has the uh, propensity to be a spark plug for this team. You're in the midst of a four-game losing streak. You need something to kind of galvanize your offense, galvanize your team. And that's definitely what uh, Taysom Hill is. You know, he's great with the read option. I think at times he's an underrated passer with his accuracy. I want to say that he um, flirted with about a 70% completion percentage in the four games that he started last year when Drew Brees was injured for the Saints. The question, though, of course, Matt, with Taysom Hill as a full-time starter is always durability and whether he can be a guy that can survive, you know, uh, uh, through an entire season um, as an every down quarterback. Yeah. And, you know, it, it kind of leads us to our next topics here, but I'll briefly touch on that. And that is, I don't think Taysom Hill is the guy, right? Like I think he's this cute little piece and you have him on your team and maybe he does some stuff. I don't really know, right? I don't know what we'll see tonight, but what I believe from things in the past and his injury kind of history is that Taysom Hill is probably not the guy that's going to take over for the Saints. But I will tell you a guy that I do believe can take over for the Saints, Joe, and that is Mr. Danger Russell Wilson. What are the chances Russell Wilson ends up in the New Orleans organization, and if you don't think it's the Saints, where else would he go? I think it would be a perfect fit for the Saints. I think it would be kind of a plug-and-play situation. I think Russell Wilson's um, just turned 33 years old, so you know the way quarterbacks are playing like close to 40 these days, you feel like he could have several years of his prime. 
He definitely needs a new situation. It's just not the same right now in Seattle. The defense isn't as good. Their running game has just not been the same the last few years. They kind of had a lot of different running backs in and out. And so I think that that could really be a situation that if you put um, Russell Wilson in New Orleans and if they can surround him with, you know, some better wide receivers, either get Michael Thomas back or draft or sign somebody, you know, to pair alongside Deontay Harris and Alvin Kamara, I think that Sean Payton could definitely work wonders with uh, Russell Wilson and vice versa. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, I hate to admit this. Gosh, I hate to admit this. But my top two guys that I think should have always considered the Saints would be uh, Aaron Rodgers. We won't go into that. But Aaron Rodgers and then Russell Wilson. I think the beauty behind Russell Wilson is that he's literally the same size, body type situation of Drew Brees. So he should be plug and play to replace uh, Drew Brees. I think some other landing spots, I think Washington, we saw in the chat, um, it is a good fit for him. I think Carolina to kind of replace Cam Newton would fit. Uh, Sam Darnold hasn't worked there. I do think there are landing spots. I think it's time for him to get out of Seattle, though. So, all right, Joe, let's talk about what I think is probably the biggest showdown all weekend, and I think it's primarily because it is the battle over the AFC, and, and ultimately, you know, I, I think it's important. Patriots versus Bills, Joe. Who you got? I like the uh, Patriots. I kind of am starting to buy into the possibility, Matt. I know you know, we got a long way to go, but I'm not completely dismissing the possibility of a Patriots-Buccaneers Super Bowl. The Patriots have not lost a game since that reunion with Tom Brady in Belichick back in early October. The defense is playing great. Mac Jones is coming into his own. I know the Bills looked impressive last week against the depleted uh, Saints roster, but I think I think the, the Patriots are going to continue their uh, strong play. Yeah, I do too, man. And the Patriots' defense is rock solid. I think the Bills have not performed up to expectation after last season. Um, I, I think their offense is a little suspect as well as their offensive line. And I think what I called earlier is that Josh Allen had to regress to the median. Last year was his best season ever, period, in the history of his football career. He had to come down to earth. Uh, you know, Mac and Chiefs is playing pretty good football. He's not going to win you a game, but he's not necessarily going to lose you a game. And sometimes that's good enough, and it seems to be working. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and he's been steady, and he's also vastly improved. I mean, he looked really bad um, in the uh, early season game that we saw with the Saints against the Patriots through a couple of interceptions. But my goodness, I mean, Josh McDaniels has had him playing like a season vet. Yeah, he, he really has. His decision-making is fantastic, to say the least. All right, Joe, last NFL topic here. What are some good matchups this weekend that we should all be paying attention? Anything kind of off the top of your mind? I mean, the one that you had penciled uh, messaging me about the show is uh, Chargers-Bengals. And it's just a great quarterback matchup. Uh, Justin Herbert against uh, Joe Burrow. And I'll tell you that um, I have a friend who is on the uh, committee for the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama. And he knows uh, Jim Nagy, who is the brother of uh, Chicago Bears coach uh, Matt Nagy. And uh, Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, said that Justin Herbert's uh, tape, his workout, was the most impressive that he had seen for a rookie quarterback or a senior quarterback. And that topped, you know, Trevor Lawrence, the likes of 
Joe Burrow. And so that I thought that was saying a lot. And we've seen that with the trajectory so far of 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 um, of uh, Justin Herbert's career. And I feel like uh, the Chargers have a good chance to kind of continue that uh, upward uh, trajectory uh, this year. Yeah, I agree. I love Justin Herbert. Like, I've been so impressed by this kid. But, you know, I'm not going to sit back and tell you I was drafting different because if I'm not mistaken, him and Joe Burrow came out of the same draft. And it would be hard to discern between the two. I would say Joe Burrow makes some better decisions. Justin Herbert has a much stronger arm, in my opinion. But I think either one are, like, just incredible prospects and really might be the future of NFL football at the quarterback position. The other ones I'm looking at, of course, Green Bay is off this weekend, which is interesting to me because you're not going to hear me say this too often, and I don't want to say it too loudly, Joe, but Green Bay may be the best team in the NFL, and that's a problem. That's a big problem, okay? But they're off this weekend. So other games I'm paying attention to, uh, Los Angeles Rams are playing the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars, but Los Angeles has lost like four in a row, right? Baltimore and Pittsburgh, it'll be interesting to see if Pittsburgh gets beat up on again as that program just deteriorates. We talked about Los Angeles and Cincinnati, and then ultimately I always think uh, well, uh, excuse me, Denver and Kansas City is interesting because Patrick Mahomes doesn't really look like Patrick Mahomes, to be honest. And then finally, the Monday night game, as we've already talked about, is fantastic. New England and Buffalo. You're right. You're right. And then also I would add, you know, we talked about Taysom Hill and the Saints, Saints, Cowboys in a few minutes tonight. I think we're going to hop on and do a little casting in that game. That's going, I think, to be an interesting matchup as well. But Matt, I can't bury the lead here. You said something about the Packers being the best team, not only in the NFC, but potentially in the NFL. And this is, uh, the last time I checked, a team quarterbacked by uh, Mr. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. And look, let me tell you, I I don't want to say it again. I promise you, if it wasn't heartfelt, I wouldn't say it because, it, and you know this, Joe, we've been doing this now, uh, calling sports and casting for almost two years now at this point, or a year and a half, and you know I would never admit that Green Bay is that good, except Joe, Green Bay is that good, man. I mean, their defense is not fantastic but it's good enough to not lose games. And then Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are playing outside of their mind. And the only thing I can't get over, I told you, Odell Beckham should have gone to the Saints. If I were the Saints, when Odell Beckham hit the waiver wire, I would have picked him up because Michael Thomas is done, all right, at least in New Orleans. But the other team, and I read a report about this, I am shocked with the season they're having. He almost signed with the Green Bay Packers. And he did not sign with them because they offered him the veteran minimum. Like, at the end of the day, it's Odell Beckham Jr. You have Devontae Adams on the left, Odell on the right, and Aaron Rodgers in the middle. Are you crazy? You're not going to go get Odell Beckham Jr., especially in the year you're having? So, Joe, Green Bay, they're the truth this season, and it just scares me to death to think that they could have had Odell Beckham Jr., they're definitely a contender. I mean, they, they always are. And then another team I keep forgetting about is the Cardinals. Like, I keep forgetting, I feel like, that they have the best record in the NFL. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, you know, it, outside of Green Bay, you do have the Cardinals. I do believe in the Cardinals. I'm not sitting here telling you 
that there are not some other good teams. There are. Arizona is one of them. I think Tampa is solid but has some issues, especially now they're not going to have Antonio Brown. I think New England is really good right now. I don't know if a rookie quarterback gets you to the Super Bowl. And then, of course, Buffalo and Kansas City are wild cards. But to go to the chat here, Arnold says OBJ is trash. OBJ is absolutely not trash. And if you add OBJ to Green Bay, oh, my gosh, now you have a possession receiver in OBJ at minimum. You have a big-time player in Devontae Adams, and you have trusted hands in Randall Cobb. I mean, with the defense playing the way they're playing, Joe, I'd be in trouble, man. Like, I would lose our bet uh, with the Fudge and, and Meat podcast because Green Bay would win a Super Bowl at that point. Yeah, and it's going to be great, you know, to see how Green Bay does this year. That's definitely a story we're continuing to follow. I think everybody on ColorCast is following that bet. So that's our coverage of the NFL. I think, Joe, we're getting close to the end of our show. Let's go ahead and lead into the most anticipated segment in all of sports, and that's the Hangry Rant. Are you ready, Joe? I'm ready for the Hangry Rant. I think you've got something really uh, special in store for our listeners tonight on that segment. Yeah, man. So let's let's get into it. So here's what I want to rant about tonight. It's actually going to be about LSU and Notre Dame and this Brian Kelly situation. Now, I'm not talking about the merits of Brian Kelly going to LSU. I'll be I'll be upfront honest in the rant very quickly. I think it's a bad hire because I don't think Brian Kelly has uh, faced the, the talent he's going to see in the SEC. I don't think his recruiting is going to be capable to pull big talent in the South when you compare to Ole Miss and Alabama and Florida. I think that's why Lincoln Riley didn't take the LSU job is because he knew how hard it was going to be to recruit here. I even heard a, a, a press release. I read something about how Brian Kelly doesn't even like spicy food. And I know that's an oversimplification, but that tells me he may not necessarily get along with Louisiana fans too well. None of that is what I want to talk about, right? I want to look past that, and I want to talk about what Brian Kelly did to Notre Dame. And I want to read you a quote, okay? He said, and I quoted, because I wanted to be with the best. The resources here are outstanding. It starts with alignment, excellence, and standard of expectations. In terms of the championship, I want to be here under the bright lights, the Broadway stage. You know, this is what I want to do. Joe, he's coming from Notre Dame. Notre Dame may be the most historic team in all of college football, and Brian Kelly just threw them under the bus to come to LSU. The way he spoke about Notre Dame and how he wants to be with the best and and how the resources are at LSU, it's what you would hear from a coach at Southern Miss going to a Florida or going to an LSU or a, a coach at Louisiana Tech going to Oklahoma or USC. What he said about Notre Dame is not what you would hear from a coach coming from Notre Dame to LSU. And I think in that statement, if people would listen and read in between the lines, Brian Kelly threw L uh, Notre Dame under the bus and probably set them back by 10 years. Keep in mind, Notre Dame is and has always been one college with a guaranteed contract for football on TV because of their dominance, their resources, and their popularity. And Brian Kelly just said, forget that. Forget Notre Dame. I want to go coach at the best in the SEC at LSU. I couldn't believe what I was reading. 
Well, I completely concur with a lot of your analysis, and you talk about coaching at the best. He's now going to have to coach against the best in Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and Lane Kiffin and Sam Pittman and Kirby Smart and just an embarrassment of riches as far as other premier head coaches. And we know his track record against Alabama in playoff and BCS national championship games. It's not very good, Matt. And so at that point, I just don't think that um, Brian Kelly made a smart decision as far as uh, long-term going to LSU. I know you can talk about the lucrative contract and, and the dollars, but at the same time, we saw what happened to Ed Orgeron less than two years removed from winning a national championship. I mean, he easily could be dismissed if he has a couple of difficult seasons. Because here's the last thing I would say about it. The narrative is so different surrounding a head coach at Notre Dame compared to LSU. Because at Notre Dame, if you go 9-3 and three or 10-2, and two, I mean, they might overlook that because some of the fans are like, well, you know, the team, these are great young men, great guys, you know, they're working hard, the scholastic honors, all that. At LSU, you can't point to that because nobody cares about that. All they care about is whether you went, you know, 11-1 and one or 12-0 and 0 and contended for a national championship. And so I think the results are going to uh, make it very difficult for, and the expectation will make it very difficult for Brian Kelly in this uh, pressure-packed uh, Death Valley situation. And then also I would add that in 2016, I believe, Brian Kelly went 4-8 and eight at Notre Dame. He was able to reset, you know, and get his career back on track and was still successful the last four or five years. LSU would not have allowed that kind of reset with a 4-8 and eight season. So for all those reasons, I think that you're spot on with uh, the Brian Kelly LSU hire. Yeah, and, you know, I will point to one thing, because Arnold, I do think, in the chat, brings up a really good point. He says, devil's advocate, he probably feels like he maxed out on what he was able to do at Notre Dame. And I agree with you, right? I do agree that, like, Notre Dame has a certain cap level because, you know, they're in, they're not in a conference and all this good stuff. But it's just the thought that you would throw Notre Dame, who's backed by the Roman Catholic Church, under the bus. I mean, what are you worried about, not getting paid? Are you kidding me? Notre Dame's one of the richest schools out there. What are you worried about? Prestige? Notre Dame's probably the most prestigious in terms of who we think they are, right? What are you worried about? Good students? Graduation rate? Notre Dame's going to be one of the best. So the fact that, you know, guaranteed TV time, Notre Dame's the best at that. The fact that he passed all that up and then the way he did it to say, I'm going to the best. I want to go coach the best being a public school in the South, in the SEC, it's just absolutely crazy to me. But, Joe, the last thing I'll say, and, and it alludes to your point specifically, look at his last four games, or we could actually look at the last six, a terrible USC team, a mediocre UNC team, Navy, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Stanford. That's his last six games, Joe. How does that compare to being an LSU and Ole Miss of Bama and running the gauntlet of LSU, Auburn, Ole Miss, Florida, Alabama? I, I just don't think he understands what he's getting involved in, and he threw Notre Dame under the bus at the same time. Yes, and then add in, you know, Oklahoma, and you never know, never know about Texas. It's kind of your wild card. And, I mean, you easily could be one of the top – decision and and i stand by that if i was lsu i probably would have gone and got matt rule uh in in carolina and told him to bring the fun bunch joe brady with him 
or I keep plugging Kellen Moore. I think Kellen Moore goes to Oklahoma because he's a steal, and you'll see that tonight, the OC of the Dallas Cowboys. So, Joe, I just I don't like to hire at LSU, and most importantly, even though I don't care about Notre Dame, I hate what Brian Kelly did and the way he did it to Notre Dame, considering they truly are the blue bloods of college football. The last comparison there, can you imagine someone leaving the New York Yankees and then going to coach at the Diamondbacks in Major League Baseball and talking about what a great opportunity it was? That, to me, is the synonym here. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Or the Atlanta Braves, you know, kind of closer to like winning a championship recently, you know, but not as much tradition compared to the Yankees as far as, you know, the 27 championships and everything. So, yeah, I think that, I think those are great analogies there. And now suddenly, Matt, because uh, Brian Kelly will be coaching uh, at your school, LSU, and a school, you know, that we follow here on the Hungry Takes podcast in the South, we'll suddenly, I guess, be talking about him a lot uh, going forward. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do, Joe. LSU is going to go to head, and I'm talking about how good Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers are. What a what a show it's been this Thursday. I sure hope next Thursday's better. But still, hey, what a show. I mean, we had some great uh, support tonight. A lot of people in the chat, a lot of people listening live on ColorCast, or if you guys uh, check us out later on on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I mean, Matt, this was an action-packed show. You did a great job preparing. Uh, th- this was a fun time. Uh, really enjoyed it. I want to thank uh, thank all of our listeners that are out uh, there listening to us tonight. And of course, Joe, like you, you alluded, we're going to hop right into the Saints versus the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, give us just a few minutes, guys. Uh, we'll be on for Saints Cowboys for a few minutes. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes, and we will talk to you guys soon.